Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for joining us for this week's message from Riverside Church. I believe you will be inspired and blessed by the Word of God. We'd love to welcome you to one of our services next time you're in the Brisbane area. If you'd like to know more about us, go online at www.riversidecc.org.au or like us on Facebook to hear about up-and-coming events. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless you. Well, we are continuing in the book of the Gospel of John. And it is interesting how John writes, if we kind of like just take the time to think about it a little bit. He's writing and he tells us his purpose, and that is that so that we may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in his name, believing in his name, we will have power for life. I want to have power for life. I don't want to be disempowered. I want to live a powerful life. But there is something incredible about the Gospel of John that you may not know, that often John uses the connection of water when he's talking about the different things that Jesus did. For example, in John chapter 1, you know, it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it talks about how John baptized, John the Baptist baptized people in water. And that showed a way of repentance to say that was an outward expression of an inward decision that you're going to change and that you're going to live a godly life. Turn around and repent. And then in chapter 2, we have the first miracle. So we have repentance, and then we have the first miracle, which was Jesus turned water into wine. So we have repentance, then we have a miracle. In chapter 3, which Pastor Randall spoke about so well, uh, Jesus told uh, Nicodemus that you must be born again. You must be born of the water and of the Spirit, and that is a new birth. And so we can see John is now saying, okay, what's going on here? We've got repentance, we have the miraculous, we have the opportunity of a new birth all through water. And then in John chapter 4, we have the woman at the well where Jesus talks to her and says, hey, look, if you thirst of this water, you're going to thirst again, but the water that I give, you'll never thirst again. And she said, give me that water. Where can I get that water from? And he said, I'm the water. I'm the living water. So in other words, Jesus is saying, I'm the purpose for your life. Don't try and fill it with other stuff. I'm the real purpose for life. So we see an incredible picture that John the Apostle is bringing through his whole book about the connection of water. Now, I don't know why. Maybe if he lived in the mountain, it would be a connection with rocks or whatever, or trees, who knows. But the importance of that connection helps us to discover who Jesus is so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. And these are all miraculous things. We have repentance where we turn our hearts to God. We have the miracle that that Jesus did. We have the new birth, being born of water and of the Spirit. And we have that purpose that God gives us to live. Because what's the point of living if we don't have a purpose? It's just an existence without any type of, you know, reason or rhyme. And so we now move to John chapter 5. And once again, there is a connection of water. And as you read the Gospel of John, you're going to see there is always a connection about water. 
Because water in the time of Jesus, where he was in, in that area specifically, was incredibly important. It was prized water. We take it for granted a little bit living on the coast, but those who live inland in our nation, they know how important water is. And water was used for refreshing. It was used for cleansing, for purification. It was a sign of life. And Ezekiel chapter 36 and Isaiah chapter 44, water was a symbol of renewal and also the symbol of refreshment. And this is what John is bringing to us, unloading for us who Jesus really is. And so now we come to John chapter 5. And yes, you've got it, it's about water. So let's read this morning. And it is the story about the man who was beside the pool in Bethesda. And let's just begin to read. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holidays. So Jesus returns and it seems most probably that it is the time of the Passover, but he is there by himself. The disciples are not mentioned. I don't know why they're not mentioned. I don't know even if they're there, but he's there. And we've looked at what it was like at the time of Passover in Jerusalem. There were millions of people. There was, you know, it was just packed, packed out. There were animals, there were people buying and selling. There was trade going on. People coming in, it was an exciting time. And so, this next thing is what takes place. Inside the city near the sheep gate, the sheep gate, Jesus is the, the Lamb of God. He is the gate Himself. There was a pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick, sick people, blind, lame or paralyzed, lay next to those porches or under those porches. They say there were five because the five represents the five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. And there was a, these five uh, columns or porches that they had were where people could come and just lay under there and just sit and wait. Now the pool of Bethesda was incredibly deep and in, actually in 1888 they discovered where the pool was. It was north of the city and they found it and there it was and it was actually 13 meters deep. That's 40 feet. That's a long way. If you've ever, you know, done scuba diving and you go down 12 feet, you think, gee, that's a long way. 15 feet, that's, this is 40 feet. So they could literally jump in and swim. And underneath this pool of water was a subterranean stream that would come and move through and so that was reported there were healing waters. And it says that there was an angel that would come down and stir the water. And when the water was stirred, people would jump into the pool, and the first one in got the healing, but everyone else missed out. Sounds rather strange, doesn't it? Missing out for the potential. And so we see that there are crowds, look at that, crowds of sick people. And they're blind, they're lame, and they're paralyzed, and they're laying under these porches, and they're waiting, waiting for the opportunity of healing. Have you ever waited for the opportunity of healing in your own life? 
I remember when I first became a Christian really early on, I had really damaged my back quite severely. I had actually squashed the discs in my back and I, I can remember that uh, I had to lay down on the wooden floor like for three days. I went to an orthopedic surgeon and he said, come in. I said, okay. He said, take your shirt off. Took my shirt off and he said, okay, turn around, bend over. So I bend over like that. He said, stand up. Okay, do it again. Okay. And he said, sit down. So I, I sat down and he said to me this. He says, you've got two choices. You can go home and lay down on the floor for three days or we can cut you open and put something in. I'll take option one, sir. That would be it. And that was it. But there's a third option that he never told me about. Third option that I never realized about. And I can remember going to a healing meeting. I went to a healing meeting and a guy was praying for people and as the, they were being prayed for, God's power moved upon people and they were being lay, is laying out in the Spirit, slaying in the Spirit they were. So I said, yep, I'm going for my healing. So I walked up and I stood there, and you've got to understand, there's like 30 people in this line, they're all out under the power of God, and he prays for me, and nothing happens. So he prays for me again, and nothing happens. So he prays for me again, and nothing happens. So he says, you can sit down. <laughs> so I went and sit down, and I'll continue that in a moment. But imagine that. Hundreds of people underneath these porches, waiting for the opportunity to be healed. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. That's a long, long, long time. 38 years. He's been lying there. He's been waiting, hoping, dreaming, believing that one day, it's going to happen. Who likes waiting? I mean, I get so frustrated standing in front of the microwave. Two minutes, come on, give me hot food. Or you get caught behind, you know, in the shopping line and someone Forget something and runs off and you're going, oh, and you've got to wait a whole five minutes. Or you get stuck out here in the traffic on Oxley Road. Oh, my goodness. And you might have to wait half an hour, an hour. But 38 years? 38 years laying potentially at the same spot, waiting and waiting and waiting. And this is what happens. When Jesus saw him and he knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? Would you like to get well? Now, potentially, that is a silly question. Do you want to get well? Do you know how long I have been waiting here? Hello? I'm here with the sick people. Jesus asked the question, do you want to get well? 
Jesus always asks the question for a reason. When God is moving in your life, Jesus will ask you a question. Peter denies Jesus. Peter gets fed up. I don't know if you've ever been fed up. He says, I'm going fishing. And they said, okay. And they start fishing. And then all of a sudden, there's a great catch of fish because Jesus had told them what to do. And he, Peter says, it's the Lord. And he takes off his jacket and he swims. And he's sitting there and he realizes, oh, he knows that I've denied him. And Jesus asks this question. Peter, do you love me more than these, all these fish? Now, he's Jesus. Jesus knows the answer. He knows the answer. Jesus asks the question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. He asks the question for you so that you can hear your own voice about what you believe in that situation. So you can know your answer. Jesus, the Son of God who had been glorified, comes down, speaks to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me more than these? This is what Peter says. He says, you know. You know, Lord, that I love you. You know I do, Lord. But Peter needed to hear that for himself. Jesus is amongst a whole group of people and they try to trick him. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they come to him. And they said, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus asked the question. Whose inscription's on it? He doesn't ask because he doesn't know. He asks so that people can hear what they're saying. And he says, they say, oh, it's Caesar's. And then he says, oh, it's Caesar's. Well, I guess that belongs to Caesar. So you should give that to Caesar, shouldn't you? And shouldn't you give to God what belongs to God? You see, Jesus asks a question so you can know the answer in the situation. Don't ever think that Jesus doesn't know the answer to your question or to the question. He knows, but he wants you to know what it is. Because quite often when we answer him, it's not always the right answer, but it's the answer that we believe in the situation. Uh, on Friday, I had the absolute joy and privilege of graduating and receiving my degree. Thank you very much. I'm 58 and I finally smart. <laughs> As I was doing this wonderful degree that stretched me and tortured my family on a daily basis, I did an assignment. And they asked me to prepare an assignment that was based upon characters in a movie and to understand the personalities. And so I picked the movie and I thought, this is fantastic. This is the opportunity of a lifetime. And I, I, I completed it and I thought, that is the best assignment I have ever, ever written. And then my scribes, Jackie, Pavey, and Alex, they read through, 
Do you know you're supposed to use full stops and commas in assignments? Just... They read it and they said, this is really good. This is really good. Now, I had been getting credits and distinctions in my assignments and I thought, I'm getting a high distinction here. I, c- I can feel it. I can feel it. It was brilliant. I put it in and I got it back and I got a pass. A pass. A pass. So I wrote back, I don't think this is correct. Could you just check it? Send. Be careful what you send. No, we believe that this is the correct answer in the situation. And I thought they're wrong. And I'm right. Have you ever done a test and you, you, you kind of like put down the answer and you go, that's right, that's it. And you get the examination paper back and it goes, you're wrong. You know, sometimes when we're talking to God and we give him the answer to the question that he asks us, it's wrong. No, 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 no. You don't understand. You don't know what it's like. Did you know that when Jesus asks you a question about your life and the decisions that you make, he knows why you are doing it because he needs you to know where you are at so he can take you where you need to be. He wants to take you from this place and put you into another place. He doesn't want you to stay the same. He wants to change you from glory to glory into his image. And you've got to have the right answer and understand the right answer. Because if you don't, you will always come back to that thing. He wants to take you to the place of truth. The place of truth. Do you know why he wants to take you to the place of truth? Because truth is what our faith lies upon. And his word is truth. And you know what the truth does for us? It does two things for us. This is what the scripture says in John chapter 8, verse 32. It says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. But you know what? That is applied truth. It's just not hearing it and going, hmm, that, that sounds good. It's applied truth. Don't think that you've got to just let it just sit and go, I know that. If you know something, then you should do what you need to do with what you know. And the second thing is this, the truth sanctifies us. In John chapter 17, it says, your word sanctifies us. His word makes us holy and pure. Peter says this, be holy for God is holy. The calling of the church of Jesus Christ is to be holy. So he wants us to be set free and he wants us to be pure, holy, sanctified. But listen to this man's response. And I want to ask you, has this ever been your response? Jesus says, do you want to get well? And he says this. Now remember, he's been there 38 years, potentially laying in the same spot. And when I began to think about it, you know, at the age of 13, Jesus went to Jerusalem. He probably walked through here. He had probably seen that guy year after year after year after year after year after year, 
25 years, he probably saw the same guy. And he says, do you want to get well? And this is what he says, I can't. The first words that come out of his mouth are, I can't. I can't. What is it that he asks of us where you say, I can't? I want you to go and tell someone about Jesus. I can't. I want you to pray for someone and tell them that you're loving and caring. I can't. I'm going to get embarrassed. It sounds silly. It doesn't seem right. It's unusual. Hey, the Bible tells us we are a peculiar people. Peculiar. Because we step into situations and we encourage and we inspire and we build up. Do you want to get well? Do you want to fulfill your destiny? Do you want to answer the call of God in your life? I can't. I can't. And this is what he says. For I have no one, no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else gets there ahead of me. He first says, I can't. And then he says, I don't have anyone in my life. When Ungo and Jose and I were traveling around PNG, we started to say a silly little thing. You know, we'd, you know, we'd get homesick and we'd miss our wives. And we'd go, oh, I miss my wife. No one loves me. I mean, we're both there, but no one loves me. And we would say, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. I can't. Because then what he says, for I have no one. Do you know what they call that in the counseling world? a great word for it when someone says I can't do it no one can help me. it's called catastrophizing it's a catastrophe no one will help me I can't do it if this guy is a lame guy how did he get there who took him there in the morning who took him food during the day who helped him? Maybe bath him and wash him and give him clothes. There were people there. But he chose to see himself just as himself and not empowered by those who were there. No one to put me into the pool. It's not my fault. I can't. 38 years. A long, long time. Watching other people being healed. There's no faith. And he deflects his issue to other people. It's not my issue anymore. Just thought I'd come and hang around because I've always done it this way. I love what Jesus doesn't say. You know, sometimes it's when people don't say things, you go, oh. Jesus didn't say, I understand. I understand you've got a problem. He didn't say, there, there. It must be tough. There's no one in your life. Here, here. I know it's been a long time. You know what God does? You know what Jesus does for us? He speaks straight to the problem of our issue. You know, after that guy prayed for me three times, and everyone is laid out, and I'm standing there like a duck. I'm telling you. And people are looking at me who are behind me like it's my problem, all right, that I've got. Well, it actually is. 
He says, oh, you can sit down. I went and sat down. And as I sat down in this old church with wooden stools, you know those long benches, you know, it was hard, my back was sore. The Holy Spirit spoke to me and he says, now you believe me. You trust me. He said, you've had your prayer, now use your faith. Man, my eyes nearly popped out of my head. Because he wants us to use our faith. He wants to take us to the place where we are, and he wants to transition us to the place that we should be. Jesus never said, oh, it's okay. He says, I can't. I've got no one to help me put in the pool when he stirs the water. And this is what Jesus says. Huh. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And that was it. Stand up, pick up, walk. In other words, start to move, boy. It's an incredible story. Three things he says. Stand up, pick up, and walk. And this is what it says. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat, and he began to walk. Now, I do not know, or does the Scripture tell us, what happened as he began to speak and he began to stand. But something happened in that moment when Jesus spoke the, war, the word to this man and this man just said, I'm going to stand up. I'm just going to stand up. I've been here for 38 years. It's not getting me anywhere where I really want to go and the person I want to be. And guess what happened? He took the stand of faith. He stood up and instantly he was healed. Miraculously he was healed. What is it that Jesus is saying to you for your life, what you need to do? Maybe he's calling you to do something. It could be to go into the ministry, to start a business, to change your job, to to stretch out, to do something great for your neighbor. What is it that he's saying to you to stand up, pick up, and start walking? Because you see, this standing up is the beginning of faith. That's the beginning. You see, Jesus just said, stand up, pick up, and walk. What if he just stood up? It's just the beginning of faith. He took the action. Jesus wants to take us from where we are to where we need to go. When he says, speak, you take the action. It's the beginning of faith. It might be simple, but it's essential. What are you doing? What are we doing? Stand up. Ugh. He didn't say, I can't. He just stood up. And then, you know what he did? He picked up that mat. Now, it's not like a mat that you would roll up. This is what the Scripture tells us, kind of like helps us to understand. But it was actually like a long-framed bed, just with a blanket on it. And he had to pick it up. He picked up the thing that had been holding him for 38 years. Sometimes you have to master the thing that you've been lying on all your life. 
And instead of just lying down there, you've got to pick that up and say, I am now in control of the situation. Because you see, picking up is the overcoming faith. Imagine him picking that up, looking, standing and looking at that mat. Jesus said, stand up, pick it up. And he bent down and he picked it up. That which was holding me, I now hold. I am the master of this situation. And then Jesus says, walk. Walking on is the continuation of faith. It's where everything changes. What is he asking you about? What is he saying to you? Stand up, pick up, and walk. What is it? If the Holy Spirit is now touching something in your heart, you need to respond to that by faith. Can you imagine the commotion in that place? When that guy had been lying there for 38 years, there must have been other people who had been there for some time. There would have been yahooing, screaming, yelling, praise God, glory to Jesus, amen. I mean, they must have sang songs or something. There was a commotion. There was such a commotion because, but this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't walk, work on the Sabbath. The Lord does not allow you to carry the sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that? They demanded. The man didn't know. For Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. Now, I want you to think about this. I know that as soon as you start to do something for God that he calls you to, that it's unbelievable, that maybe out of your character, out of your potential, out of your ability, someone is going to say, you can't do that. There will always be religious people who will object. You can't do this. This is the wrong time. No, this is the Sabbath. You can't do miracles on the Sabbath. You can't work on the Sabbath. Do you know why Jesus did it on the Sabbath? To show that he was Lord of the Sabbath. Do you know that God is still Lord of the Sabbath? Do you know he causes the sun to rise on the Sabbath? He brings life on the Sabbath. When, some, when you are doing something for God, I remember when God called me into the ministry way back in 1987. And I went and told my boss and he just went, no, no. And then I told all the managers of the stores and they said, are you nuts? Do you know that you are missing out on the opportunity of a lifetime? <laughs> I wish I knew back then what I know now. And I could say, this is the opportunity of a lifetime to answer what God calls us to do.
Pavey went and told her work friends that she would be leaving work and we'd be travelling up to Townsville so I could go to Bible college. And you know what they said to her? Because she said he's going to be a, a pastor, a minister. They said, we can't see you as a pastor's wife and running a fate. Because <laughs> it's out of their realm of understanding. But there will always be people who will say to you, this is the wrong time. The religious people. There will always be people who will try and lay down the law and say, no, 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 no. There will always be a religious person who said, who told you you could do that? I tell you who told me to do that. Jesus. Jesus told me. He told me to do it. He told me to give up my work and go and follow him. Folks, this morning, I want you to hear this word. Jesus is calling you to stand up, to pick up, and to walk. Whatever answer you have given him, and if it's not the answer of obedience by faith, it's the wrong answer. The answer is, yes, Lord. I don't know what to do, but I'm just going to stand up. I'm just going to stand up. I'm just going to pick up the thing that has been supporting me, and now I am the master of that thing, and I'm just going to walk. I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight. And so this guy is walking around. He's been set free. He's doing his thing. He's got it happening. He's going to parties. He's probably seen other people. It's all happening. He's been around. And this happens. But afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. It has been my experience seeing people healed, thank God, and then walk out and forget God. Well, God intervenes in their life, and then they forget God. And they don't want anything else to do with God. Thank you, God. Well, when I read this, and I did a lot of research on this, they say that the reason why that man was so sick for so long was because of this, sin. And sin separates us from God. Now, Please understand, not all sickness brings, you know, or all sin brings this type of sickness, rather. It doesn't. So don't say, well, I'm sick, maybe there's sin in my life. If you've confessed your sin, he's faithful and just forgive your sin. Now start walking in the freedom that he's, you know, d- uh, given to you. But folks, once you stand and once you start Picking it up, and once you start walking, you stay connected to God. And then it says, then the man, he went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. Imagine that, he didn't even know it was Jesus, but Jesus did. I find that mysterious. 
and unusual. What happened from that moment when Jesus said, stand up, pick up, and start walking? Something happened to that man. A decision of faith, a decision of action, and bang. And here's the thing. All you have to do is to stand up, pick up, and start walking. And if you do that by faith, my goodness, anything can take place. So this morning, I want you to stand up. I want you to stand up. We're just going to close in prayer now. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this morning. Lord, that you call us to stand up, to pick up, and to start walking. And I pray, God, your richest blessing upon everyone here this morning. I pray, O oh God, for those who are watching online, Lord, whatever question that you are asking them, that they would answer it by faith, that you would do a miracle in their life as they start to action. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.